I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 164th installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new, and proud members of the Treksphere Network. And today we will be discussing Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 4, Dreamcatcher, written by Lisa Schultz Boyd and directed by Steve Ahn and Sung Shin. And we have Dave back aboard the Starship for his longest uh, longest departure ever. It's, uh, <laughs> I should have I should have done the math earlier, but I don't know, it's been like... 47 days. 13, 14, 15 <laughs> weeks maybe? It's been a bit. I was off with the Traveler, though, and he taught me a lot of stuff about Yeah, life. checked out some other galaxies. They're so much <laughs> doper than the Milky Way, probably. It's good. It's it good, sucks our galaxy has such a lame name. Milky Way. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I'd like something scarier sounding. <laughs> like Andromeda has such a better name than us, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. They should have uh, maybe left it in like Latin or Greek or whatever instead of translating it into English. Uh, oh, yeah, that, that always might... makes stuff... Stuff sound the Latin stuff always sounds cooler. It'll, it'll 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 sound like some heavy metal lyrics no matter what. <laughs> yeah. There's not a cool like Latin name for the galaxy though. I actually like looked into this for <laughs> a, 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 another reason a, a while back. But when we were doing our idea for a Star Trek show, when we did a podcast on pitching a Star Trek show, I was trying yep. to think of like what okay galaxy class is taken, but I want something similar to that. Like what's like another uh, word for yeah. galaxy? And there's there's literally nothing cool that I could I could find. So not like a Greek word or something like that. Yeah. Um, hmm. They they didn't really think of like the galaxy as an object. It was like wasn't a concept that that existed among the ancients. Oh, that's true. That's true. You would have to like, but you can maybe like some celestial sphere or something like that. I don't know. Or if they had a concept for infinity or something. I don't know. Oh, it was enough to make me give up. But <laughs> um, Dave, we are happy to have you back, though, because uh, you have been gone for the whole coverage of Prodigy that we've been doing. And yep. uh, gearing up next week, just want to do some quick housekeeping and remind everyone that next week we will also be talking about not just an episode of Prodigy, but an episode of Discovery. And I think we're all three excited to see the season four premiere of Star Trek Discovery. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to we're going to double down and do two episodes in one podcast next week. So that'll be fun. Have we ever done that? It'll just be Discovery for a while. No, th th this is the first time there's, there's been two episodes released together since 1999, since there was, there was two Trek episodes that came out the same week. That's bugging. 
I think yeah. we have recorded two podcasts in a single night, but uh, like, for sure we've done that, and we've discussed two. multiple episodes when, they, but they weren't like new episodes. Like we did yeah. like the Year of Hell parts one and two, or when me and Dave will do like a whole like half a season of DS Nine. Let's not forget about those times back when we used to just record it and not be live, and uh, when we uh, recorded an episode and realized we hadn't hit record, <laughs> and we'd have to re-record it an hour later. Or, not, uh, or two hours Dave, later. I just realized we're not live right now. I forgot to click live. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, well, we're each just going to give kind of our thoughts on this episode, express our broad opinions, and then we'll go into detail with our episode breakdown and take a really deep look at it. Before we get started with that, though, I just want to read the official synopsis and then kind of expand on that with spoilers to offer a quick recap of the episode. And the official synopsis reads, The crew has their first away mission on an undiscovered planet that manifests their deepest desires only to realize the planet has desires of its own, which I think is a bad synopsis because it gives way too much away and kind of spoils the episode itself. The only thing it I have definitely to, does. Yeah, the only thing I can add to that is that Dal uh, doesn't fall for the the planet's shenanigans. He rescues his shipmates, but their ship crashes when Gwen tries to take off in it, and now they are stranded. So, Dave, since you haven't been here in a while, do you want to just go ahead and give your opening statement, kind of express your broad? stance on this episode and then we'll sure, go sure. around the room you know I, I have not been like swept off my feet by prodigy um I, I was reminded that i had i took a little while to get used to uh last airbender when i was first watching that and uh, but within like two or three episodes i was pretty on board it and and i think i'm still struggling uh, with this one a little bit um but i did like seeing them get to a planet uh a sort of shore leave parasite planet uh that uh actually had some I don't know why they didn't use the transporters I, I <laughs> I'm hoping that we can discuss that but uh, I thought it was a solid episode um I'm trying to remember did Dal do something did he actively figure out what was going on um, because I, I I wasn't sure if there was like I felt like there hadn't been a lot of agency in the episode and like in in trek I, I like to see the characters through their ingenuity and stuff overcome whatever the yeah, conundrum they... is. Basically, evil plant, uh, evil planet Janeway dumps the whole story in front of him. Well, and he, he he figured out that she was fake because she wasn't supposed yeah. to be off the ship. Okay, yeah. I guess it's that's a that's a little bit of like they're teenagers; they're not tactical geniuses. That is a case of him just put doing a little bit of basic logical thinking there. Um, so I'll I'll allow it as a uh, as as he he did he did do something a little bit clever. I would have liked I mean, for it to have been cleverer. Um, I mean, Dahl says we should not go down to that planet, and it looks like he's completely and utterly right on that point. Janeway yeah, is but wrong, like, and then uh, he's the one who fig- who actually <laughs> manages to save everybody. So, I mean, he does get to be the big goddamn hero. Well, arguably, uh, the original shore leave, uh, I think they just, like, uh, the, the, the guy had to just come out and, like, say, hey, relax, y'all, it's a show, uh, yeah. They didn't. They didn't really have a lot of agency in that. But yeah, I kind of would have liked if he had like done a little bit more of putting two and two together. That wasn't quite so obvious as 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 what it was. That said, um, it's a cool enough idea. Uh, everybody got to get you get to you know all the things that they ran into gave you a little bit of insight into who they are. 
and uh, I guess the uh, the plot's moving right along because the the big bad guys right on their heels. Uh, I liked it okay. <laughs> if we have the time, I'd like to get Dave's thoughts on the characters overall. What do you think of them now that you've seen? Because we, we we've been discussing it for two other episodes, but. You know, I don't like the fact that I don't have like a strong favorite or anything like that leads me to think that the characters I'm not in love with the characters. Um, I, I de like uh, I keep going back to Avatar because that was kind of the uh, watchword or the, the the most frequently mentioned influence or yeah. aspiration. And some of the same talent too. Like uh, I think the directors on this episode are from the oh interesting the last Avatar. But I did think that um, uh, like. Like uh, the the lead of Avatar is a kid who is I think ten years old. Um, the, the last Airbender. I called it the last Avatar, but whatever. Yeah, I know. What I know. When, I, when I hear Avatar, I think of that James Cameron movie. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, no, it's all good. Um, but the lead on on Last Airbender was a ten year old kid uh, who kind of like is a goofball and kind of becomes a little bit. He can be sort of wise, sort of more like rather quickly. He at least has that capacity within him. And then there's a, a couple sort of mid-range, like 15, 16-year-olds, I'd say, uh, that, that are accompanying him. And I, I think younger kids like, um, uh, what's, what's her name, Rock, Rock Talk, a little too, a little too kiddie for me. I don't hate kid characters innately, but it's, it's a tough sustain for me as a, as a crew uh, of kids, I think. Um, Let's see who else. Uh, Doll is solid. I think I like Gwyn. I think I find her the most interesting of them, just because she's probably the older, more mature one, and that's that just kind of interests me a bit more. She has kind of uncertain and and, and difficult motives, and I, I I like that sort of nuance in her character. Jankum Pog is source of a few too many fart jokes, but otherwise solid. <laughs> Uh, what else do we have? There's uh, what is it? Zero is that the name yeah. of the Zero the Medusin. Okay, I don't like the steampunk uh, sphere. <laughs> um, uh, it just says somehow doesn't feel Trekky enough for me and its design sensibilities, even though Trek theoretically encompasses a million, a million, million planets. Uh, and then there's um, there's a there's a protoplasmic blob too, which I have no thoughts on. <laughs> it's okay. Well, uh, Brian, uh, what about your opening statement for this episode, Dreamcatcher? I have to admit, this is definitely my least favorite of the two of the three, four, however you want to count it, that we have thus far seen. There's nothing particularly wrong with it, but there weren't any real discoveries. I mean, it's just it was an alien planet of the week, but the planet basically comes out and explains itself. The, the, the story follows horror movie tropes, not star trek exploring well, a lot I mean, of star trek does horror movie tropes well, especially yeah, like the original they, series it's not just the tropes the whole structure it's not about figuring out this planet it's not about figuring out whether it wants to eat us or why it wants to eat us or why there's no nutrients in the soil it's uh, or why it doesn't show up on life form signs it's about we've got to survive this thing we must get away from jason freddie whatever we have to get away from the monster that that's the only concern um, and that would have been fine if they'd been if we gotten to discover something else. But I don't feel we learned much about the 
characters. I mean, Rock Talk likes cute kittens. Shocker. I never would have guessed that. Um, Zero was really seemed more like Zero was just used to say, hey, look, we still got this weird engine on the ship that we haven't explained. And we wanted to remind you of that. So we're we're using this moment to remind you of that. I mean, Doll wants, uh, Doll wants to know about his parents. I Again, it, maybe it's it's stuff that felt obvious to me, but I, again, that's me as a seasoned science fiction watcher and a very, very perhaps unhealthily seasoned Star Trek fan. <laughs> and I don't. Also, we don't feel like we learn much about the ship uh, or the mystery of the ship or the bad guy, the big bad guy, the Diviner. We didn't really learn. Much well, apparently, it's going to be a long, a long first season. Ultimately, yeah. after the breaks, so yeah. uh, so maybe they're spreading it out. <laughs> yeah. Having said all that. I suspect this plays a lot differently if you're not haven't watched bazillion hours of Star Trek. And, you know, this is a strange new world. This is the the bread and butter of Star Trek and strange things happen. And the planet looks fantastic. Uh, and what seems like an obvious revelation about the kids is probably actually a lot fresher if you're the target audience and and not so used to these tropes and 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 whatnot. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to add something. One thing I did like and I was kind of taking note of is that in this episode in particular, Janeway is like teaching them some what you would call Star Trek basics, plotting a course. Here's what a tricorder is. Um, I, I forget a bunch of other stuff came up. And, and I did think that like that was kind of cool just for getting, you know, it introduces kids like younger viewers to the lexicon of Star Trek and some of the ideas, phasers and stuff, too. Yeah. So, I mean, as far this might actually be a really good episode if you are the target demographic. Um, so I need, I do keep that in mind. The other thing is I said, we didn't discover much about the planet. This is only part one. They're still on the planet. We could learn all sorts of new stuff about this, this living planet next episode. And that would kind of, you know, make it something other than just a bunch of horror movie tropes strung together. And that, that would radically change my, uh, probably change my opinion of the whole story. Uh, if I, if I had seen the rest of it and that is what we get, I mean, they're going to kind of have to address the, the living planet in the room because they're stuck on it and it's probably going to keep coming after them next <laughs> episode. So yeah, I, I wasn't for me. I didn't hate it, but I was a little bored with it. Father. For me, it was a lot of fun to have these new and weird characters go on an old-fashioned Star Trek Away mission. I was actually kind of okay with the concept of the show being a bit familiar because these characters are so, – this crew, this cast, of everything is so radically different. And so I, I really liked it grounding itself in some very traditional staple Star Trek stuff. I also had a lot of fun getting to see some of the tech up close, just like that part of my my Trek nerd heart really liked seeing the redesigns of phasers, tricorders, their new vehicle, the runaway. I'm glad I finally got like a good shot of that shuttlecraft I didn't get to see enough of <laughs> last week, although I still would have liked to have seen a little bit more of it, a little bit better look than what we got, but still you know, better than what we had before. I also thought just I felt this way all along but the score is really killing it uh nami mulamad uh, her music's almost too good like it's it's so cinematic i i feel like in a few years she's gonna be off like doing movies and i want her to just stay in in score star trek um it, it's some of the best uh it's, it's one of the best scored series just after four episodes 
And the Hagman brothers often talk about how, like, kind of their touchstone with Star Trek is Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three, and uh, that, like that type of emotional vibe is what they're they're aiming for. And even though this is radically different tonally, I can still kind of get that same kind of 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 sense, that same type of of style when it comes to the excitement and the the big actiony set pieces and how they try to like tie that to some type of uh, emotional engagement. So I, I can kind of see that connective tissue. And I was hit really hard by that cliffhanger at the end. I'm stoked to see what happens next week. Um, I, I was not expecting that. That kind of caught me off guard. And I'm I'm very pleased to see that the powers that be seem to have a lot of faith in the show. Uh, Dave mentioned it's going to be a long first season. We knew all along that there was that original order for 20 episodes, but the way that was presented to us previously, it sounded like they're going to split it into like season one and season two, but I guess this is all going to be a huge 20 episode season with more on the way soon. And I, yeah, I am kind of sad that, you know, we have to take a break from Prodigy after next week, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the, the, the show is doing well and that they are confident with it to the point where Alex Kurtzman and the head of, of Paramount are even talking about like, they, they want to do like animated Star Trek movies. Now they want to try to do that, uh, get that into the Spider-Verse crowd. I, I'm really digging the show, and I liked this episode. And I do agree, though, that there wasn't a lot of revelation or anything with the the planet, but I just I kind of liked it being a little bit more traditional just to... The, the, as the more the show goes on, it has felt more and more Star Trek. You, you, you and uh, you, Brian brought up that, that you know, this is the, the cliffhanger ending and that this is part one of... Well, I don't know quite how they structure the series... Like, do we know that it will all resolve in the next one, or could there be three parts? Yeah, there, could, we know that? Yeah, there could be another cliffhanger next week. But that is a, that is a fair point, um, and it's interesting to have like a show that's what twenty five minutes long ish, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know, almost probably by its nature, it's going to have more cliffhangers and things like that, uh, unless they do really tight episodes like the uh, animated series, the original animated series. Yeah, or like last week that Starstruck episode. I thought like that it felt really small. And Brian pointed out, you know, it was kind of cool that they, after all, like the Save the Galaxy stuff they've done with like Discovery and Picard, it was kind of cool that they have kind of a smaller little low stakes, like we just have to escape the star. But it it, it almost felt more like a short trek than like a full-fledged episode. Yeah, I, I, I think they have the option. They can do like little small things or they can do larger serialized things. But I always talk about how like the hybrid format is always what works best for me. Right on. But I guess we should go ahead and move into our episode breakdown. You know, next week we're going to have to do an episode breakdown for two different episodes. So I, I wonder <laughs> if we exciting. can... I mean, the episode's only, I think, 24 minutes long, the actual Prodigy episode. So yeah. I think we could challenge ourselves to get through this one in, in 30 minutes. Let's see if we can do it. That'll be good All practice right. for uh, for next week. I'm down. We can be disciplined. We can uh, have uh, you can be the Janeway whipping our crew into shape. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm Janeway material, but uh, we're just going to go ahead and start. Just tell us we have potential, Fathery. <laughs> you have potential. I've seen some pretty rough crews in my day. All right. But, then, uh... Dave, then Dave farted. <laughs> and pick, and pick one guy to never promote. <laughs> uh, all right, let's 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 roll, Fathery. Well, the episode begins with Dal's captain's log. We learned that Janeway has been given the kids flying lessons after last week's close call, and the ship's scanners detect a nearby Class M planet. And Janeway has to do a little arm twisting, Dal, but 
eventually convinces him to learn how to explore strange new worlds with the rest of the kids, and they go on their first away mission. And so we get this cool, beautiful descent to the planet. Now, Dave, you you pointed out a, m- a moment ago how they they didn't beam down, and that's the same thing I thought. You know, if this was a even if it was a runabout, they would beam down. You typically only land if you're a shuttlecraft. Anything bigger than a shuttlecraft, you you beam down. But they they've I mean, been holding off worth, on the transporter. It's worth keeping in mind that they reason they invented the transporter was to save money, um, and that's continued to be the reason why they didn't land the runabouts was primarily to save money. <laughs> um, the run uh, dragging the runabout set. Out I assume you are referring to behind the scenes all the work, the usual yes. special effects work. Not yeah. that in universe they're like we can't afford a transporter. Oh, yeah. on this no, thing. no, no, behind the scenes. But this show is all about putting up as much goofy, over the top uh, effects on screen as possible. So. Um, from behind the scenes, I see totally why they decided to land the ship. I do have the same question you have. In universe, why didn't Janeway just say beam down, especially given that they almost (laughs) botched the landing and almost caused damage to the ship? So that that Zero could practice landing because she'd been teaching them how to fly. I, I mean, is is landing the ship at the top of the of the list of things these people kids need to know? It's how to weird do on to this ship? have they use, they haven't used the transporter at all, right? I don't right, even think and, they know and that I I, I think I know why because it's like how we saw in in Starstruck, Janeway kind of gives that Federation history lesson and explains what the Federation is, what Starfleet is, and I thought they did that very well. I, I Last week, Dave, I compared that to Star Trek 09, when mm-hmm. when Captain Pike is kind of explaining Starfleet to the to the new, uh, broader audience, and how yeah. they never even use, like, the word explore, and how, like, Prodigy did such a better job of explaining that to, you know, your your new fledgling virgin audience who's, who's never dipped their toes in Star Trek land before. You know, here, when we get, like, the explanation in a moment for what some of the Starfleet equipment is, I think there's going to be, like, they're going to have the transporter be, like, a plot point and make it kind of a, a crucial thing. Yeah. Is there a reason that it can't be a note, pretty notable plot point later, but also just be a very utilitarian thing early on, you know? Uh, well, I think which they would want seem the very kids... cool to them, I'm yeah. sure. I think, yeah, I think they want the kids to go, oh, my God, you have, the, the, when the transporters are discovered, and they this was on the ship the whole time. And that's cool. <laughs> that's exactly what I would be doing with it, is save the transporter as long as possible. But narratively, I don't, see, you know, from Jane, Hollow Janeway's point of view, I don't know why you wouldn't bring it up at this particular juncture let's, rather let's, than risk landing the ship. Why don't we, let's revisit it when they first, like next week or whenever they hit yeah, the transporters yeah. and yeah. see if the explanation lives up to yeah. what it, we would hope it would be. But, but I also don't think it's incredibly yeah. unusual that they land the ship. I mean, like Star Trek 3, they land the bird of prey on planet Vulcan. Sure. Like this is they, a small did, enough, this is a small enough ship that it's not did they uncommon not even, to get the landing gear down though doesn't it like kind of rock to the side and shit <laughs> the landing gear were down but instead of setting down like a helicopter they drugged it, the thing across the surface it slides <laughs> for a little bit hey father so. can you when you get a chance would you throw up the uh, quote uh for, about janeway up to something from uh what's jankum eating yeah. Sure. Uh, thought... Jill in our audience, who today is going by what was Jankum eating, <laughs> says Janeway is up to something, forcing them to visit the planet. The way she did didn't sit well. Comply. Um, yeah, the hollow Janeway, we can discuss or debate that. Yeah. How much does she know? Like, 
me and Brian have speculated like she knows they're not really cadets, but she's. I felt like on. the AI almost had to be aware of that, if it's any kind of AI at all, unless the show is going to allow that. There's just that's the kind of goofiness that they're going to allow. I don't, as we said before, I don't think Kate Mulgrew wants to play an idiot. So right. Um, uh, I, I wanted to say that one other thing that was, of course, served by the ship going down the way it was is it's a spectacular visual. There were several scenes in this episode that showcased uh, just what they could pull off with their uh, uh, visuals and had uh, just stunning backgrounds. There's another one that's like on like some plateau, you know, high or mountainous sort of plateau uh, later on that's uh, really beautiful looking. So obviously on a purely visual level, I kind of get why they did it. Yeah, I think that that's also was a big motivator. Oh, this Do also we... explains a class elm planet to a new audience. That's a big one. That was one I, of the ones I for sure noticed. I laughed out loud at the joke when Dal says, uh, <laughs> "Not for my crew. We all deserve a class." Yeah, Dal, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know what Janeway knows about the Diviner? Because he's making log. Uh, Dal's making log entries she, about. We're she says. The hell away. She, she says, says I don't in this know. episode she doesn't know anything about him. She says yeah. I have like no information on this Diviner. So unless she is being duplicitous, and it is just possible she is about them not being cadets, but yeah. I think she legitimately doesn't know who the Diviner is. So, I mean, but he knows feels... who Starfleet is because he's yeah, he's mentioned the Federation and stuff before. And it could be that she actually does and that this is going to be a reveal in a few episodes. And it's like, oh, this is why I actually sent you to this planet, because actually there's something that you can get there. And that's why you had to comply. And she kind of forced it uh, is like, if we want to lose him, then we need to be able to hide the yeah. uh, tachyon emissions from the ship. And only there could you do that. And I didn't have time to explain it all to you for some reason. <laughs> the Because, yeah, they talk right in front of her, if I recall, about we need to, you know, this uh, doll says, no, we need to keep going and get as far away from the, the, the prison asteroid as possible. And she doesn't, like, ask any questions, which means she either already knows the answers or they felt, fed her some lie that this all makes sense to. She thinks she knows the answers. I think if there are some reveals that there's, sort of some slyer plot points going on that we might have that might have seemed on the surface that there's some more stuff going on that would actually do a significant uh, amount uh, for me to, to, to kind of drawing me into it because because yeah. right now it feels a little too kind of dopey sometimes and if I were to find out that there was some smart stuff going on behind the dopey stuff I'd feel a lot better about things Janeway brought them here so she they can recruit an army of Hyrogen hunters to protect them from the Diviner because this is planet Hyrogen. Right. That that was like I haven't seen all of Voyager, but I know they show up in there and that's a thing. You're really but... you're really close to the episode where they show up. I know, I know. I looked it up. I saw. Um <laughs> let me ask, um, is their planet mentioned at all or do they just show they, up? In other they words, don't, do they're, we they're in no the audience? They 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 don't ah. they don't have a home world anymore. They've like abandoned it. Okay, so this is completely open territory. They're a known species, but it's uh, there must be a reason why they decided to use them. Yeah, I, well, I, I, not, can, I can see why they answer. would uh, why they would decide to uh, GTFO this planet. So yeah, uh, I don't know. I would just sit down there eating porridge, <laughs> uh, living it up, and and being drained by the roots or whatever they do. I, I guess I wouldn't take the kids and send them out into the wild on any place where there's any chance of them meeting a hydrogen hunting party and. 
even if we know they're nomadic, I, I wouldn't necessarily be 100% sure that there's zero erosion on that planet or that there's zero chance they could show up and start and get upset that somebody's on their, their sacred world or something. Maybe uh, maybe hologram, hologram Janeway uh, already scanned the world and she's like, it's fine. Yeah, and it turns out not to be fine. So uh, not you know. fine. But uh, actually, do we have any sense of where this like like is this Janeway from after the events of Voyager? I presume then, uh, you know, yes, it have into, to be. It would have to be right. Yeah, because that was her um, first command, so she wouldn't have been okay. decorated captain before that. Right. Right. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out the timeline there. Um, yeah, I guess uh, we will. The reveals about what Janeway knew and when she knew it will uh will be some of the bigger things to kind of be watching in the next few episodes and also they they leave poor gwen locked up in the brig when they go off on their exploratory mission i mean she's always locked up in the brig but they go in and put handcuffs on her yeah so that she can't use the seashells to just to to be extra safe yeah, yeah. So if she needs to, you know, do a, a do a number two. She has no way to clean her butt. Just to I be clear, that's the kind of people these our protagonists are. I assume that off screen they said, if you have to go to the bathroom now, would be a good time. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, but look, it, it is it, it's a. I, I kind of like it as a dramatic thing. Uh, she's she done them dirty, and the I mean they were right to re. They're going to have to rebuild trust. They right. were right to like, man, like if we all step off the ship, she might, she's smart enough. She might be able to figure something out. You know, like we better be extra cautious. I mean, it, 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 serves, it didn't help, but I mean, they, they were proven correct to, uh, yeah, yeah. To take in a lot of ways, them cuffing her, it serves a dual purpose of a kind of showcasing the, the power dynamic and that she's lost it and they've gained it. And it's, you know, that we get some sympathy for her, but it also shows the degree to which they, recognize that she's effective and so obviously she should be commanding the ship if she uh, can be turned <laughs> dave um, why don't you tell us uh, what happens when the uh, planetary exploration begins all right so uh, the protostar crew gear up for exploratory action janeway gives them and the audience a quick crash course on tricorders phasers and the uh, runaway ground vehicle the kids aren't gelled yet though and split up as soon as they step off the ship right here we get into the nerdy stuff that i've been wanting is what do the tricorders and phasers look like well the tricorders look like pads but yes. they, they seem they seem actually more practical like oh yeah you look at all that touch screen that all that screen real estate yeah. you get on that device um, and they didn't look wildly different than the if you were in Star Trek Nemesis, which isn't that many years before this, supposedly. Yeah, four years before this. Yeah, they had two types of tricorders, the, the the classic flip open ones. And then they had one that was literally a cell phone with a little flip top that flipped down. Um, or no, I, no, actually, I think it was just had a little flip up thing. And they used that in like in two scenes. And that was basically a giant touch screen with a little one little yeah. open up thing for with a row of, of conventional switches. So this does feel at first I was like, where did those tricorders come from? But then I thought, you know, they could have been the evolution of those those flat the, the, those flat screen looking tricorders they had in Nemesis. So I'll, I'll allow it. I do miss there's no row of blinky sensor lights at the 
nose of the thing, and there should be a row of blinky sensor lights at the nose of the thing to show that it's doing scanny stuff, even if you can't see the screen. Um, but other than that, uh, other than that, sure, I guess they they don't look like they'd necessarily fit in your pocket all that well. But I guess whatever. they they look very appropriate to me for a 2021 audience that'd be familiar with digital devices like smartphones or tablets. Uh, even the yeah. phaser has a touch screen on it, which actually makes a lot of sense. I think um, we're a little bit more aware of user interfaces now that we're like dealing with electronic devices constantly in our everyday life, you know, more so now than we were in the sixties or eighties or nineties. So yeah. I, I, I think it's actually pretty practical and it makes it feel a bit realistic um it is kind of a a design of a phaser that like if there is a star trek phaser where i might aim the wrong end at myself it probably would have been this (laughs) one so i can't blame jankum pog too much for studying himself but you know it explains like the stun setting you know it it, it says you know it's stun is default so that implies that it can kill if you need it to um so and then there uh Runaway vehicle is cool, but I don't. Did you have any thoughts on the on the phaser before we talk about the runaway? At first, I thought the display on the top was a targeting screen with maybe the the the, the trigger just being at the bottom. That little uh, orange uh, lump, uh, orange uh, circle on the lower half of the screen. Um, but then when we see them firing it, A, they're a lot smaller than I realized. Uh, when you actually see Dahl holding it and pointing it, it, you realize these things are tiny. Like the handle does not even run the full length of the inside of your hand. Yeah, but they're type ones, so they should be pretty small. Well, I mean, they're they're the chunkiest type ones in all of Star Trek. Yeah. If, any, if or, anything, they're big for type ones. Yeah, yeah, that's that was the weird thing, is like type ones are supposed to be easily concealable, and these things are big and boxy, so that they're, they're not going to lie flat against your body or anything like that. They're going to stick out a lot. And uh, the dis- yeah, the the, the touchscreen is all controls with, you know, there, there's no way to use that screen to interface because that big green button, at the, a circular button at the top is where the trigger is when Dahl uses it. So the, the, your hands, your thumb is going to be covering most of the display when you fire. Um, but uh, I, I'm not entirely sure how comfortable that handle would be in real life, but I it might work fine. I don't know. Since I haven't pick, picked one up, it's hard to say. They don't have proper sights, but then... It's a Star Trek phaser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Star Trek phaser. So, is it, it, it? Does it have some silliness? Yes. Is it any sillier than any other Star Trek phaser? Eh, not really. So. Yeah, and, and I can actually see it as kind of a hybrid between the uh, Star Trek Nemesis Dolphin and then the Star Trek Picard actual like Return of the Pistol Grip uh. phaser. I, I can kind of see it like as a halfway point in that evolution. The Runaway is weird to me because uh, it looks so like not star trekky but somehow like i've i've learned to accept ground vehicles in my star trek even though like it bugged me in nemesis but i think uh we kind of had a redemption of the argo with uh star trek lower decks they had a lot of fun with it so um i'm i'm more open-minded now to the runaway it, it actually if you do have a vehicle replicator that could you know, throw something together for whatever away mission you're on. It, it seems like a cool thing to, uh, you know, slap together to go explore this planet. Maybe that's why they landed so that they could drive the, the runaway, deploy the run the runaway. I do find it amusing that in a CGI animated show where it literally would be cheaper to have it hover 
than to give it wheels because then you don't have to have it directly interacting with the surface of the planet. Yeah, you don't have you to have make moving sure that parts. all those yeah, all that all, all those particle interactions are happening in a realist reasonably realistic way. Instead you just have it fly over your CGI landscape. Um they've gone and decided to go dune buggy with it instead of just making it hover. <laughs> they're they're really just they have it's one of those i think they have too much money for making this show um but it's yeah kind of it's a fun. monster truck of a dune buggy like it's uh yeah it seems cool like if i was a little kid i would want i would want to drive one of these I'd, i mean i want to drive one now i would want like a toy of it i i will probably buy a little toy with woolly wheels which so probably not eagle moss um the, the of this so that i can push it around on my desk it does look fun <laughs> the cockpit the way they like it like opens up it's kind of like it reminds me of, like the old batmobile how the cockpits on the batmobile toys they would always like fold up instead of like sliding forward like in the tim burton movie or uh like the the animated series it was always like this little flip up cockpit that bothered me that the toy didn't match the movie but if they made a toy like that of this you know the, the little flip up cockpit canopy window would actually work so this and the shuttlecraft both kind of have that you know it's like like the the x-wing how the uh that hatch rises or lowers to let the pilot in and out that's how like their shuttlecraft functions so yeah they're 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 kind of making things like jet fighters or something <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's a fun little uh uh, ra- looks like a fun little ride uh, to, to poke around in. I was interested in that this is apparently going to be the ride for the show and you can't fit the cast entirely in the cabin. <laughs> yeah, you can only get four. There's, what, seven so, of these people? Yeah, so in the f- yeah, in the future, are we going to have two runaways zipping along when they do when they go out adventuring or are, is everyone is there always going to have to be some people hanging on to the back and if you go over a bad bump you lose somebody and possibly seriously injure them so, <laughs> um i mean yeah because and, and it looks like you can i'm not sure if you could even fit fit, fit rock talk in the cockpit certainly if you could it would take up multiple people worth of space uh of of, of other crew members Oh, hey, is that spacesuit that Pog wearing, is that a Starfleet spacesuit or was that what he was wearing when they escaped? I'm assuming that he replicated a Tellarite environmental suit and one specifically for him because it didn't cover up his cyborg arm. Yeah. But also it had like a three fingered glove to fit his hand on his other side i wonder if he was surprised to find there were so many rep uh, tellerite replicator options aboard the ship's computer does he know about the feder that he's descended from federation citizens well we get a um, tidbit about that you know you you were saying yeah. we didn't learn much about like these characters but i think we do get a few little tidbits including yeah, no i, I, his I would call origin that a substantial a, tidbit yes on a on a teller sleeper ship my suspicion at the moment is that he arrived in the Delta Quadrant on a Tellerite sleeper ship that departed before the formation of the Federation, and that's why he doesn't know about it. Maybe like he spent some time in cryo sleep, or maybe he's the descendant of of someone who was on that ship. I, I, still, I would have liked to see the moment where he starts poking around in the computer and discovers that Tellar is a member of this Federation, uh, and that he is a Tellarite from you know these the, and you know because I think that would 
that would be a bit of a moment when you, if you don't know much about your own people or how to get in contact with them, and then you discover, hey, my people helped build this ship. <laughs> so would have liked to see that. Maybe, maybe they're saving it. Maybe he hasn't quite put it all together, despite finding Tellarite spacesuits in the Replicator uh, database. Um, I do love the planet's looks for all my poo-pooing about how little we get to know. It is visually stunning. It, it, it finally pays off. I think the strange new world thing that Star Trek's been telling us about since 1966, but we really haven't often seen. I, I felt like quite as strange as this place. This place is, is wonderfully strange. I don't know if I really buy them. The arched mountain arches, especially ones that are so big, they're taller than the clouds. But it was at least very weird looking, but also felt not like just randomly weird. It felt like it was, uh, you know, organically weird. Like, uh, um, and I would love to see planets looking like this on Discovery and uh, Picard and stuff. I don't know if they'll ever do that or not, but I would love to see that. Well, the other thing that they show us here that's a little bit more character centric is that these these kids aren't a team yet because when Rock Talk, you know, she thinks, oh, look, I finally have friends. We're going to go explore a planet together. And they all kind of like split up and do their own thing. Dal hauls ass in the, the runaway. Zero is <laughs> off doing his scientific exploration. Jankum Pog is hungry and looking for something to eat. So she's kind of... Uh, left by herself and we the, we get the the first look at the i don't know if i should call it cilia or cilium or weird plant tentacles but what the the ominous yeah. danger of the planet is is teased here yeah the fact that they all go their separate ways willingly except for rock talk kind of makes me feel like these people have been getting really sick of each other cooped up on this ship <laughs> and this is the first chance they have to get a little bit of space in me time and that they're they're you know that 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 comrade instead of building camaraderie the the tensions and aggravations must have been building over the last you know two episodes uh, over the last since they departed the uh, the prison planet um so. It is also the natural shore leave format. <laughs> yeah, everyone split up. You have to, you have to split up so you can it's have Scooby Doo format. Yeah, but yeah. It's the same, you know, you want uh, Shaggy and Scooby to go have like this weird encounter with a ghost where it's funny because they get scared and it's not really a ghost; it's a dude in a costume. But while they're doing that, you have you know, uh, Freddie and Daphne and Velma find a clue somewhere else. But yeah, yeah, it's um. That's where you like cut between like your A story and your B story and what have you. Jankum was like smelling stuff through his environment suit. I think we'll we'll talk about that uh, now. That we're about to get into the the cilia trickery. If uh, Brian sure, wants sure. to tell us about what happens right. with that, the planet turns out to be a giant living trap. The plant life is able to create illusions of each character's desires or fears to distract them so that the planet's cilia tentacles can grab them and absorb them into the ground. Dahl doesn't fall for it, though, and is able to rescue his shipmates. Dun, da, da, da. You know, so we have Zero is uh, in a like a hedge maze and finds like the big ship engine, which kind of looks like Kelm. It's kind of like, like, are you my dad type type thing i thought that was a little <laughs> weird and that was probably the weakest of all of them but yeah jankum pog as dave's pointing out he he can smell a soup through his 
his suit. So he either like didn't have it strapped in good or like this planet is like telepathically making him think that he smells something. They mentioned spores also that like spores are affecting them. But I was like, I don't think zero would breathe. So like, why are spores affecting him? I think it might be more of like a telepathic type influence. That would make more sense. So you think he would notice why am I smelling, smelling stuff through the suit? So it's got to be dialing down his intelligence as well as, as well as... I don't know if he would notice. No, no, because he put the suit on because he didn't trust the air. So if he... Yeah. he, he <laughs> they explicitly say that he doesn't trust the air on this planet. That's why he's wearing the suit. Um, sadly, he's the one who does, who who thinks he who knows he's in a horror movie, does all the right things, and the writers still screw him. Uh, and I feel bad for Pog because he tried so hard. Well, sometimes uh, when you're a fat dude, you're just the victim of your own uh, appetite. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, Okay, I guess we're all fat enough to make that joke. <laughs> um, you know, Rock Talk, it, they, they've they mentioned uh, in like some of the promotional material that she's like a big animal lover, and we see that with Burf. So yeah, she just wanted like cute critters to play with. Someone get this girl a Tribble. Well, actually, that's a bad idea. We know that Tribbles and ships don't mix, but... <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But they should still do it. <laughs> I liked... Uh, I, I liked Dow, just like a lot of the visuals of Dow encountering the illusion of his parents and just, you know, the visual storytelling in the show. I've, I've praised it before, but, you know, particularly it's something that animation seems to be like a little bit more thoughtful with and a little bit more efficient with than live action television. Uh, but the idea of like, yeah, like this man and a woman that look like Dow, they're supposed to be his parents. And then when we don't see their faces, it's like that, that Twilight Zone reveal or whatever that like they're they're made out of plant tentacles and the Janeway is made out of plant tentacles. And I don't know. I thought it was like a well done reveal. And it was it was framed visually interestingly. And it all looked pretty cool to me. And uh, him using I the think phaser. that's a that's a good take. Yeah. When he when he uses the the phase they had like a, a little enough of edge to it when you know like the scary Janeway looked real scary and then he uh, I was like no like the, he's like a Han Solo like shoot first type dude, <laughs> which you can do if you're set for stun. Um, <laughs> but I, I I noticed they resisted the urge to have the head tails of the parents intertwined in some last air uh, last Airbender uh, or not sorry, that's the uh, other avatar James Cameron, the James, yeah, James Cameron, Cameron avatar James Cameron avatar. Um, well, that's probably for the best. I, yeah, <laughs> there's enough the, weird tentacle action in this that we didn't need to go and uh yeah. go down that route either. So uh, at least that's what we got was parents rather than Dahl sees some hot boys or some hot girls or something that he's attracted to. Well, yeah, that would have been like the low hanging fruit, wouldn't it? If it was like yeah. like a hot chick or something, like some like cute uh, yeah. teenage purple girl that kind of looks like him. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I kind of like the parent thing a little bit more because it gives yeah, us a little bit no. more insight to his backstory. And we do learn explicitly that he doesn't know what his parents look like. I like the doll gets to be a hero because he's kind of been the, you know, he screwed up big time the last episode and he screws up fairly often in this show. So for him to be the one that that is able to resist the temptation that no one else is able to resist. And it's very Kirk-like, you know, the whatever it is works on everyone except for Kirk. Kirk can resist it. And uh he he so so we, we begin <laughs> to see why he might be the captain of the ship is because he's got that Kirk uh Kirk instincts or whatever, even if he's a wild lack of experience and way too full of himself. I did want to point out that the the critters 
in the the Doctor Who spin-off class has an episode where the the beloved people often dead of the of the 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 protagonist start showing up in and talking to them and I'm back and I love you and I've missed you so much and then the camera pans around behind them and there's all these tentacle root things coming out of their back and going off through the window and down the street to some big mother creature oh yeah and when I saw this I was I couldn't help but think of that uh a little bit which i'm fine with them recycling the idea but uh but yeah i i I was like oh yeah this is kind of like those class critters i also liked when jankum pog sees the little yoda hut or whatever it is that had the uh the bowl of stew that he was eating or that he thought he was eating a bowl of stew we're not really sure what he was eating but i liked that his first thought was like oh janeway said this planet was totally uninhabited I can't wait to tell her that she's wrong. It's just that Tellerite contrarianism. <laughs> they all they they uh, keep bringing that up, and I I like that. I had not. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I I forgot about. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, you had a picture of the runner there, um, filling the screen. Um, there. Why does it have a number n- number seven on it? Because it might be the seventh one that that ship has replicated. So I guess that that's all right. <laughs> they've they've gone through seven of them. Also, I mean the, the first six little, are somewhere, and we see little scratches on the outer hull too. Which I guess we have to assume Dahl did that because they jettisoned everything they could jettison in the last week. Yeah, but so when they pick this one up, d- it's fresh off the replicator. Like if you look at yeah. where it's located in that hangar bay area, it looks like the replicator had just constructed it. The vehicle yeah, replicator. So, so all these nicks and scratches our doll has put on there in just the last hour or two. <laughs> well, you know how kids are. In general, like uh, video game designers, anybody doing graphics and stuff like that, animators, I'm sure, too. They do like to kind of sometimes even over texture things a little bit, uh, sometimes when yeah. not necessary. And sometimes wear and tear will be added just because it gives a kind of depth and it's it's neat looking. <laughs> I could see him taking it and saying, I wonder what happens if I run into all those mushroom trees with my dune buggy. What? Hey, it's an uninhabited planet. You might as well push that thing to the limit. <laughs> now we see why the planet doesn't like them. It's because he ran over all their mushrooms. Oh, and just, just speaking <laughs> on, of like visuals, when Dow's holding a tricorder in one hand and a phaser in the other hand, that just looks like super Star Trekky to me. It's kind of like in an early Discovery episode when you have Stamets holding a communicator, a flip open communicator in one hand and a phaser in the other hand. <laughs> and he says, energize into the communicator. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you have anything else on um, the actual illusions they're experiencing or Jankum Pog eating a, an unknown substance or anything else. Uh, yeah. I, I think it was all solid and, 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 and effectively creepy as the reveals were were made. Um, Brian mentioned it being a little bit uh, more of like a horror vibe, and I, I think that's a as a horror fan, I like to see a little of that creep into Star Trek once in a while. I don't mind if the first half is horror. I just like them to have a more scientific way of solving it. And to be fair, this is only the first half, so I should probably <laughs> just shut my mouth on that point. But yeah, we could have learned something more interesting about Pog than he likes food, which we kind of already knew. We, well, we know that he he came from a Tellerite sleeper sleeper yeah, ship. But they could have dropped that, that bit of dialogue in almost anywhere. <laughs> I imagine they're maybe doing a bit of repetition just for, you know, random people walking into it early on and also just... Yeah. 
Because these are going to air on Nickelodeon at some point, where you can't just, like, watch the whole show in order on the streaming service. It's, like, the one that you catch that day. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Old school. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting people watch television that way sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be uh, fair, it's probably going to reach a broader audience on Nickelodeon than it does on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, Almost certainly. Mean, Zero, we kind of learned that apparently Zero's biggest love is weird tech. That That is... I mean, we kind of knew Zero was into tech, but this is kind of re-emphasizes that on a level we didn't know about. And we certainly learn, oh, you know, Dahl spends more time missing his parents than he does thinking about hot girls or hot boys. And uh, so, you know, learned something kind of there, at least a degree of, it, you know, where, you know, things are. But Rock Talk likes cute things and Pog likes food. That seems like a wasted opportunity mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> so. well, let's talk about Back on the Ship. And Gwen, uh, she is able to escape the brig and take control of the protostar. But unfortunately for her, she cannot take the ship anywhere. Uh, the planet Cilia, or Cilium, I'm still not sure which one to say, but it, it's grabbed a hold of, of the protostar. And while trying to free the ship, she encounters an illusion of her father, the Diviner. Uh, but I thought I thought there was some cool use of her little programmable matter or whatever it is that sword thing that she can actually like telepathically summon it yeah for some reason when it's like moving around it looks like kind of like weaker old special effects to me like something from reboot or oh, something I thought it looked, it looked <laughs> like act- odo so like uh it, i thought that was kind of cool maybe yeah for some reason like obviously a lot of their effects on this are really very very good but for whatever reason that one just it seemed like a weird one that Maybe it was because it reminded me of Odo, and I'm like, that's very 90s. When it comes together, it looks all cool. I like how she used it. I like that we also saw the Jeffries tube of the protostar. It was oh. our first look at the Jeffries tube. <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoyed the weapon. I enjoyed that was a very fun, interesting, not random tech tech the tech kind of way of breaking out of the brig, and I definitely appreciated that. It Honestly, we learned more about her in that her breakout that we did about Pog or Rock Talk, seeing the things they most uh, desire, because we learned that she has a psychic connection with this weapon. It maybe would even hurt her. Well, I guess we've seen it get broken before and it didn't hurt her. But but does that mean that she could have done that any time and maybe for whatever reason just she, didn't do she it? She was until waiting until they were off the ship, I guess. Because yeah. last time she but got, she did try and. She, well, she was hoping that Murph might be able to assist in some way well, think... first. Like, she didn't do it just instantly. Yeah, yeah. she has I... that conversation with Murph where she says, you're smarter than you look, or maybe you're not, when he's <laughs> off chasing the... I guess they have mouse droids on in Starfleet now, on Starfleet ships. Uh, but then, yeah. like, she was... She sliced the thing in half and said, eat up, Murph. You know, I guess, like, that was to feed him something, so he's kind of busy, he's distracted, and she can go take over the ship. Yeah. By the end of the episode, we see that she likes Murph, though. So Yeah. I think I like this B-plot, if this is the B-plot, uh, uh, sure. more than running around on the planet, because it was we, we learned more about her. Like, she does... She doesn't want Murph to suffer. She's she's fine with Murph getting a meal. I like the weapon, like just ripping through the computer screen like that was such a so much more interesting than it crawling up and pushing buttons, you know. And the animation so on it when she goes from looking like imprisoned and kind of like pissed off, and then uh, all, when she d- frees herself, she just gets like this cheeky little 
smirk. <laughs> Who's the baddest chick in the land? Yeah, I like, like uh, <laughs> I like when characters kind of show their effectiveness in any given iteration of Star Trek. And I feel like in, in some ways she got to be the coolest in this one. So I... yeah, she was able to take over the the proto star. You know, like she was able to like take command of the system, and and, and we get more insight into her backstory. That's a very that's a very too. data move. <laughs> uh, her dad trained her on on everything. You know, astrophysics, ship mechanics, linguistics, and that was a cool reveal too. Did we know that he had trained her in that that many like ship type? No, things? we we knew that she. Knew all the, she spoke all the different languages because she basically served as the translator at Tars Lamara, but uh, right. we didn't. But yeah, it seemed like he was preparing her to uh, take over the ship that he was looking for, and we we don't know why. Yeah, she doesn't just switch Janeway off. She she totally reprograms her to 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 make her to follow her instructions. I was like, yeah. wow, <laughs> this wo- which was a little weird this to me. This woman is wildly more effective than the whole all the other protagonists <laughs> put together. It's or, or at least almost. It's just more by I feel it's more by luck than anything that the other kids have been able to keep her locked up. <laughs> it, it, this is the one part where it kind of made me feel like maybe the Janeway hologram is kind of dumb and not smarter than it's letting that she couldn't outwit yeah that she couldn't outwit her or use some some ship system to to when when she says uh i don't think you were locked up for space flu that's like oh come on janeway you should have you should have known that wasn't true i kind of figured yeah you know she was being a little sarcastic with that but it undermines her a lot just like when any idea that she's this clever mass chess player when when you can push some buttons and suddenly, you know, she's your <laughs> obedient slave. Uh, you know, it, it really makes it feel like, okay, I guess she's not as cool as we thought because she she has no ability to stop somebody from just reprogramming who she has to obey. Um, the the robot, which I was thinking, okay, that's like a 24th century dot robot there that's rolling around that probably cleans and fixes things which i figured starfleet ships have must have like how else does the ship clean itself like Riker says in the next generation there must be these something that runs around and does basic cleaning and stuff um so i was really glad to see that they don't explain it at all yeah like if you've seen discovery and you know about the dots and they're playing cutesy music rather than ominous some sort of mysterious robot is loose on the ship music um but instead it's cutesy music and you can tie that in with the dots and kind of figure out what's going on there but i would think if i was a kid watching this show i'd be wondering who's that what's that on the ship how did that get there i mean it's like when you when you see the mouse droid on the death star it's just like oh these little things i guess roll around and do some job these little robots yeah but you see a whole bunch of people just casually looking the other way (laughs) and you've had loads of droids up until that point to just introduce you to this is a world where little robot things are running around all the time they haven't shown that this that that that's how star trek land works big big shocker though i don't like the robot and i was glad murph ate it and i don't want to see any more of those <laughs> so you you were you were glad that uh the the, the, the gelatin what what's the name gelatin murph. guy murph, murph that murph yeah. ate it um so i was fine with the robot I, I, for me but it feels like the sort of thing that might be confusing to first-time viewers or even casual star trek fans who haven't seen discovery it's, it's too star warsy yeah kill it murph kill, kill it. it yes kill all the star wars well it's like the voice of the clones from star wars is murph 
Oh, so wow. It's, uh, it's like the, the cast of the Bad Batch was eating that, that robot. Is that the joke? The clone troopers are killing the clankers? Uh, yeah, that... I suppose. Um, but we also have the, the robot uh, Dread Dreadnought, because she calls into the Rev-7, which I still think is a dumb name for a ship. It sounds like a car. Uh, but she, uh, she, is it supposed to be like revenge? Uh, maybe, I don't know. I, maybe it's the same seven that's on the runaway. These sevens, there's something about the seven that is happening here. It's the and same seven that's four. in 47. Seven. Yeah. We're going to find out. It's all a big plot by you. seven of nine is manipulating things. Whoa. Yeah. I just blew your minds. Yes. But. But this does set up the the diviner is on his way, so it adds one of those uh, dramatic ticking clocks to the next episode. You know, whatever whatever happens next week, they're gonna have to deal with the fact that the diviner is is coming for them. We get to see a little bit of the diviner here. This is kind of like the best look we've ever had of him outside of his chamber, even though it's not really him. We don't know much about like why he was floating in that liquid or like this armor that he's wearing, but it looks like he has like liquid flowing through this armor. So I don't know if for like some medical reason. He's required to to wear this. He's actually it's just just chapped skin, actually. <laughs> Space chapped. He talked about like him and Gwen are like the last of their species. So I don't know, like did something like wipe all of them out and now like he's like in bad health and is gonna die soon and maybe it's something Gwen will have to worry about. I I think this was my favorite moment in the episode because she sees her dad and then she realizes it's not her dad because he said he was proud of her yeah. and i was like damn that is when, some when he like offers a offers her a show. hug yeah yeah like, you've done well and she he's like no need to rush you can just stay here you've done really good i'm proud of you come give your old man a hug and she's like nah y- you ain't my dad i was like that is so fucked up that is the one of the most fucked up things I've seen in a children's show. <laughs> and then he was scary when he turned. Uh, <laughs> That's how he knows. When he That's turned into the evil knows. plant man. Yeah, uh, I was like, "Oh man!" And the look on her face as she realizes this is too good to be true. It's like, "Oh god." <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I think Gwen's my favorite character. She's the one I'm. I'm most interested to see what she's up to every week. Um, and yeah. she is kind of, I guess, like the least predictable. You know, I don't know. I don't know if, wh- what she's going to do. Dave, do you you want to tell us uh, what happens when the, the crew races back to the ship and, and Gwen's attempt to take off? All right, let's do it. So the uh, the away team uh, arrives back on the Protostar in time to watch it trying to take off, struggling against the cilia or cilium. Uh, the ship is unable to escape the clutches of the planet. Gwen and Murph abandon ship in the damaged shuttlecraft from last week. Both the shuttle and the protostar crash. The episode ends with the kids stranded on the planet, separated from the protostar and Janeway. So this is the big cliffhanger of the episode. Um, I I was glad, like I mentioned earlier, to see like a little bit more of the shuttlecraft because I want to know like what the new shuttles look like. It had the damage from last week. And Brian, I just noticed something: that the shuttlecraft that the vehicle replicator made last week has an 06. So apparently, every time it replicates a vehicle, it numbers them. So we should be coming up on an eight. Yeah, the next one should have an eight. Let's let's watch and see if they they keep the continuity on that. 
So this this is a way of uh, they're they're gonna literally keep track of how many shuttles they rank wreck in this show rather than make the fans do it. Yeah, uh, lesson <laughs> learned from Voyager. Voyager. Yeah, they're, they're they're just well when you can't get rid of the trope, just lean into it. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna number them, and we've got a replicator right there in the shuttle bay. <laughs> Uh, I was sure surprised that this uh, that this organic matter could like hold down a starship. It's like that that must be like some strong ass tentacles right there. Yeah, or they go deep deep into the planet like roots. Yeah. Um, did they? Was anything mentioned of like using phasers on them? I, I can't quite remember. No, uh, the hollow Janeway just told her like you're gonna have to abandon ship. Maybe if she would have had more time, that would have worked. Because when she was outside, she was like slicing that stuff with her sword. But I guess that wasn't very effective either. Were y'all sad when you saw Murph trapped between those crates? Like he was like stuck. And... <laughs> that made me. Is he really stuck? I thought he was just hiding. I mean, I was sad because oh no, are we gonna leave Murph behind? But I, I didn't realize he was supposed to be stuck there. Um... I laughed at Murph. No. <laughs> they would have left them behind yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry i don't really even know what your deal is murph uh yeah, if somebody's got to go i'm not yeah. even sure you're sentient um, <laughs> no um no i, I like the i like the moment though it was it was a good way to uh to to reveal some uh, you know very baseline empathy which i suppose we already knew that she had yeah like she's she felt sorry for the cation kid in the first episode yeah, she actually, we've seen several occasions. Yeah, but I think if she's just about to screw all the protagonists that we're presumably rooting for at this point, then we, we need a reminder that she's not pure concentrated right. evil. Because, yeah, in the first episode, she also, like, was trying to get uh, Dahl to, you know, um, to get information from him without having him tortured for yeah. it. So. Part of her wanted to run away with uh, with them in that first episode. When he when he he gives her the offer to to join them, it, it sucks for like these kids driving back. Like they're probably like feeling like pretty victorious and kind of scared and ready to get off this planet, but you know glad that they were able to survive those traps. And then as like they're rolling up onto the uh, the landing site, they see you know they look to their left and they see the protostar crashing, and then they they look to their right and they see the shuttlecraft crashing. <laughs> so it's like. <laughs> That's not what you want to see when you drive back to your little yeah, I guess base at, area. at that point you might be like, oh, I kind of missed the slave mines <laughs> a little bit. I, I, I could definitely see them right. No more Class M planets ever again. <laughs> yeah, Class ever. M sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. M for miserable. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did enjoy, because I, I kind of figured, oh, they're going to get back just in time. Nope, nope, they, they do not. It all kind of goes completely to hell. I was slightly baffled by Dahl telling Gwen, you are, you stranded us all. Because, like, I don't really see how he came to that conclusion. Uh, he, he he must just have written a story in his head about how this is all her fault somehow. Well, who, who, else, who else was trying to take off the, who was trying to launch uh, the ship? What, 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 the ship is covered in vines. If it was sitting there, it would just be pulled down into the ground by the planet. How would it sitting there make their situation and getting torn apart by the planet make their situation any better? The, the ship, try, Gwen trying to get away or 
Janeway trying to fly the ship away actually seems like an intelligent thing to do so that, you know, the ship hasn't been got. And then we just need to figure out how to get the kids to the ship. Uh, I think what it speaks to is he instantly assumes the worst about her. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, maybe he doesn't know what happened, but he's like, you probably did this. Yeah, I guess. And then, because he sees her falling out in a broken shuttlecraft. So it's not like, this, she doesn't act like she's in control. It, it seems almost plausible that she was just trying to get away from the killer vines that were grabbing the protostar. If she's in the shuttlecraft, then he's like, you escaped and did this. You, you caused it. <laughs> Kids are kids are emotional. They're 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 they're, they're gut instinct emotional sometimes. So I, I kind of it makes sense to me. I, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, he does tend to come to the wrong conclusions fairly often. <laughs> I mean, I was I was blaming her. I mean, and I know I know more about what was going on than Dal does, but I was blaming her because I didn't think the tentacles would have been that aggressive on the ship until you tried to take off in it, and the ship wouldn't have crashed and potentially. Have, gotten damaged if you weren't trying I to mean, like, take off in it. I, I, th then, then the heroes would have rolled up, they would have rolled inside, and the tentacles would have leapt all over the ship. They would have tried to take off. It's they would No, because to together, together as a crew, they would have been able to, to fight off the tentacles <laughs> instead of like yeah, getting right. scared of the, the fake divider and running back I into mean, the Janeway ship. I mean, Janeway just kind of said, oh no, there's no point, get off the ship. <laughs> so I, maybe they would have stuck around and come up with something. Mm -hmm. The way they, also the way he said that we're stranded here. The first time I viewed this, I wasn't paying attention. I assumed the ship had flown off into space and that Janeway was completely wrong about evacuating the ship. That was completely the wrong thing to no, do. The ship it's it's crashed and there's smoke coming out of it, wherever yeah, it is. But they're still, again, I'm like, how stranded are you? The ship's probably repairable, or at least you just have to get the replicator ready, fixed and replicated. Brian, I don't know if you've, <laughs> if you've known any teenagers before, but sometimes they're prone to uh, exaggerations, yeah. uh, to being misanthropic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I think he's, he's like in, in bad news mode because a whole bunch of bad stuff went down. <laughs> and pinning it all on Gwen. Probably unfairly. So, Ungwen. Ungwendala. We know we know her yeah. full name. I like uh, that. Yes. Gwen is very human, so Gwendala sounds yeah. more alien. I guess yeah. Dahl had to go and screw everything up after being the big hero. <laughs> Start <laughs> acting like a jerk again to remind well, us of his <laughs> true nature. I don't. I don't think Dahl did anything wrong. Hashtag Dahl did nothing wrong in this episode. I think. And if to be fair, if they'd listened to him at the beginning of the story, none of this would have happened. Yeah. They just said, is, "No, we shouldn't go down." To he's that never looked as good as he as he does right now. <laughs> Uh, in the eyes of the audience. Are there any final thoughts on this episode? Anything else you want to get off your chest before we move on to the Gorn eggs? I don't have anything. I just want to say again that the incredibly chill, laid-back credit music is jarring whenever they do the they, they they have the big exciting endings and then they cut to this this maybe with a commercial break it wouldn't be so bad but when they cut straight to these credits with this very nice music there's nothing wrong with the music it just always jams hard against whatever they were uh, uh, the the energy levels of the scene the mm. shot right before it so. it does it does go silent for a little bit and it kind of gives you a chance to breathe and it kind of like lets the dread carry over but then after those few seconds of silence are over yeah like the music is like very like calming and peaceful and like yeah it is not not the tone that you'd expect to be vibing with especially for a show like this <laughs> 
Well, let me just go ahead and dive into the Gorn eggs section of the show. The Gorn eggs are our Easter eggs, in jokes, and continuity connections that I found within the episode that I thought were worth mentioning. The uh, big one right off the bat, at the beginning of the episode. This episode takes place in the Herosian system. Uh, we don't know much about that, but yeah, the Herosian species were from Star Trek Voyager. First showed up in the season four episode message in a bottle. And we know that they do no longer live on their home planet. So maybe now we know why. The little robot droid thing, whatever, that Gwen slices in half and that Murph eats, I thought had some similar shapes to an exocomp. I don't think it was as intelligent, but uh, might have might have been manufactured in the same lab or something. I don't know. And the background that we see out the bridge of the protostar when it's parked on the planet, we see some rock formations that don't look unlike the famous Vasquez rock, which uh, is a very, very, very common rock formation in the Star Trek universe. Uh, I assume every planet has like five or six places where you can see Vasquez rocks. Yeah, yeah, you do start to conclude that Earth is unusual in that it has so few Vasquez rocks. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last Gornag I have to mention is Jankum Pog says that the food he's eating uh, tasted just like back on the Teller sleeper ship. I don't know why you're eating uh, soup on a on a sleeper ship. I think everyone's asleep, but I don't know, maybe it's part of like the maintenance crew that had to like, wake up and work on the warp engine or something. Uh, however, uh, sleeper ships are a concept that have been in Star Trek since way back at the beginning, season one of the original series. We had the Botany Bay, where Khan and all of his genetically enhanced Superman brethren were sleeping. And I also want to point out there is a sleeper ship in the season one episode of Lower Decks called Moist Vessel that uh, that episode also featured a Tellarite pretty prominently. So there's your your Tellarite sleeper ship connection. Yeah. Um, and that's all I have in terms of Gorneggs. I also have some subspace transmissions. We just want to share some feedback from our audience on last week's episode, Starstruck. On Twitter, our friend Captain Pikachu said, Gwen and Rock Talk's confrontation over Gwen's complicity to slavery and abuse shows that Star Trek Prodigy is not only willing to deal with these serious heavy subjects, but do not sugarcoat or talk down to children about them. These are important lessons for little ones to learn. Uh, Robbie, or Earl Grey Trekkie, said on Twitter, Great. They in, they're they introduced to the UFP and see Janeway as a mentor. Dal has to learn if he's to prove a good captain. Rock Talk seems in need of counseling from a friendly face. Dal couldn't believe in the UFP due to his cruel life, and Rock ate the same food. The crew needs healing. <laughs> uh, Robbie, feeling sorry for these kids. Uh, yeah, they, um, <laughs> they're going to get that, though. I think... I think uh, Hollow Janeway is here to uh, to begin the the healing process for them and give them a, a brighter future than their than their past. Kyle says on Twitter, "My theory is that Voyager's doctor helped write hologram Janeway's program. There are times where she was showing emotions, surprise a few times. Yeah, she was showing surprise and emotion last week. Yeah, we think that there there might be a little bit more to this hologram than initially met the eye, but." Uh, and that we'll scene that was um, that we've seen before in the trailers and stuff, uh, where she tells him that they they've got potential, has a definitely some warmth to it. Yeah, and it doesn't like make sense. Like you wouldn't say that if you were if you were just like a um, 
you know, Clippy the paperclip on a uh, Microsoft Office. Like that's something like you say, like if you actually have like memories and experience programmed into you. It would be fun to learn that Doc Holodeck programmed Hollow Janeway and that in a sense, Hollow Janeway is his daughter. That would be cool. Uh, data, data law situation. Yeah. Or Soji yeah. And, or uh, Sutra or whoever you want to pick from Picard. Uh, yeah. Mission Log Prodigy. They're the Roddenberry. They're like the official Roddenberry podcast for Prodigy, I guess. I haven't, I haven't checked out their content, but that's uh, really cool. They were talking to us on Twitter and they said uh, about last week's episode, help isn't something you ask for because you can't do something. Help is something you ask for because it is the right thing to do at the time it is needed. And I think that this is a very strong lesson, especially for young boys and young men. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah, Brian and I concluded last week that the the moral of the story was uh, it's okay for men to ask for directions when driving. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to ask how to get your ship uh, to escape the gravity well of a binary star system. And maybe listen when somebody tells you not to go there in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on YouTube, threes and sevens commented. Uh, that episode, uh, he's talking about Starstruck, definitely laid out a lot of Trek 101 all at once, and my youngest totally got it. He knows what the Federation is now. Again, visually stunning, good A and B plots. So yeah, threes and sevens kid uh, just uh, learned what the Federation was because of this show. That's kind of cool. I'd be curious to hear uh, hear back about the, uh, uh, the kind of the info dropped in this one on... Um... All the other stuff we talked about, yeah. phasers, tricorders, plotting courses. Threes and sevens, let us know. Hell yeah. And also on YouTube, opinions no one cares about, he pointed out. My device on how to remember how to pronounce Dal's name, which y'all were both getting wrong all night, but I didn't I didn't feel like correcting you, but it's Dal, not Dal. It's like weird okay. owl, but you don't say the weird part. That's what I came up with. <laughs> uh, opinion no one cares about, thought that was freaking brilliant. I just wanted to pat myself on the back but <laughs> um, but no no he also says something uh, a little bit more interesting uh, opinions no one cares about also commented i firmly believe that the suit the diviner was wearing was somehow keeping him alive like the tank was except it's gonna break down because it's not being powered by the protostar i don't know if we can conclude all of that because that seems very specific but you you very well might be right i just want to point out that there is some evidence in this episode to support that we see the the suit kind of uh you know, pumping fluid around, so it might be serving a similar purpose as his chamber. A lot of these things, I'm just, I'm curious about. I just want to know more. You know how I'm going to remember that it's Dal because it's like, uh, he's he's the captain, just like Mal of the Firefly. Uh, that one works too. That absolutely works. Yeah, just uh, turn that M into a D, and there you go. Um, yeah. If anyone has any opinions or thoughts or anything they want to share on this episode, though, on Dreamcatcher. Then uh, hit me up on Twitter, comment on our Facebook page, send me an email, or comment on the YouTube video version of this, and we might share it next week, uh, which is going to be a packed episode. Like I said, we're doing a Prodigy Season 1 Episode 5. We're also doing the Season 4 premiere of Discovery, so we're uh, going to have a lot of fun with that. Um, it's going to be uh, a lot of work for me to um, prepare all those screenshots, <laughs> but I'm uh, I'm here to do it. We'll try and be kind to you in the podcast, Fathery. Yeah, I I already I took I already took off a day of work just to give me a little bit of extra time. So it's a season premiere. I'm sure there won't be all that much happening in that episode. Do y'all want to know the name of the episode? Do y'all want me to tell you the name of of season four, episode one, Star Trek Discovery? Spoiler warning, but yes, go I ahead. Think I saw it. The yeah. name of the episode is. 
Kobayashi Maru. Hmm. Uh, it's a, that's a bold name to evoke. You better freaking live up to it, fools. <laughs> we'll be back next week. And until then, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.